Hello and welcome to another episode of Between the Bytes, weekly updates on cybersecurity, tech news, and business discussions. My name is Derek Parkinson. My name is Gary Arnold. And I am James Fair. We've got a couple of news articles in cybersecurity and general IT to talk about today. We're going to kick off with the first one titled Pegasus Spyware and Citizen Surveillance. Here's what you should know. Bit of an ominous sound. James, why don't you walk us through your initial thoughts on this article and kind of what it talks about? I think you should know it's scary sounding, man. This is this is <laughs> this is really <laughs> yeah. This is kind of terrifying. This uh, apparently this company in Thailand called the NSO Group produced some software called Pegasus, which governments can buy to infect people's phones without them knowing about it, without them clicking on anything, in order to have access to everything on the phone, and includes the ability to enable both the camera and the microphone without the user's knowledge. Wow. Yeah. There's been a whole bunch of lawsuits around it. U.S. Justice Department has launched a criminal investigation. And apparently the CIA and the FBI were Pegasus customers. So we're not exactly, you know. Of course they were. Can't exactly wash our hands of, the, of this one and say, we have nothing to do with this. Yeah, of course they were. I know. Yeah, leave it to the U.S. to first be a customer and then be, as this article puts, one of the most powerful forces unleashed against Pegasus after we used it for a little bit. It's about as American as it gets. <laughs> I don't know if iPhone has rolled out this feature, but this was a recent update on Android phones, at least on mine, is that you get a little green dot on your screen whenever either your mic or your camera is active or enabled. Mm. So hopefully that would help you avoid any sleeper activation of your microphone without you knowing. Yeah, I've seen it on iPhone and the latest Mac update has that now. Supposedly in September, Apple fixed a security hole that Pegasus exploited for installation on the iPhones. I guess as a small aside there, I know we maybe have talked about this a little bit on the podcast, but A, how concerned should I be about the security of my smartphone? And B, what should I do about it? Yeah, smartphones are an attack vector. There's no doubt about it. You know, attackers are going to go after whatever's easiest. And in many cases, we're all installing apps, particularly on the Android platform, where it, they aren't all vetted, right? And you can put something out. This happened before many times where someone puts an app or a fake app out there, which appears to be one thing and comes from a whole different source. So I would say, yeah, be, what's the right word? Healthy paranoia. Have a healthy paranoia about it. Put on some decent antivirus program. You would on your desktop. Why wouldn't you on your phone as well, right? Some anti-malware programs. Plenty of them out there. You know, we sell one that has a mobile app at Executech. We sell the Sophos mobile product. Um, that's certainly installed on my phones. And there's some other things you could do. There are some, some wireless tools, at least on the Android, that make sure your not getting too technical, your network settings aren't being changed or that you're specifically using some known servers to go out there and do name searches. So that at a minimum is where I would start. And then, you know, don't install everything just because it's cool. If you have to go turn on the app, the turn on the checkbox that says install this from a third party because it's not been tested yet, be pretty hesitant about that, right? Be be super paranoid about making sure that is really a legitimate program that you want to install on your computer or on your phone and it's been vetted by somebody else or there's a reason you're testing it. Assuming you're not going out and installing random apps and you're kind of sticking to the basics of apps that are fairly clean or vetted or well-known and all of that, are other threats that we often talk about that are associated, of course, with our laptops or desktops, things like ransomware, 
Is that a concern for your mobile phone? Can your phone get ransomware and be encrypted? So far, to my knowledge, I have not seen any. There has yet not been a ransomware for the phone, but that isn't to say it's coming. I think every time someone tries, the mobile phone companies are pretty, you know, Google and Apple are kind of all over that stuff to make sure that's preventable. There's a lot more control of an environment than it is in, say, Windows, for instance. So not yet, but I would certainly not predict that it's never going to happen. I hope it doesn't. We have plenty of that as it is. And I guess as a follow-up to that, often ransomware comes about on a desktop, laptop, so forth, through some sort of phishing campaign. They send an email that gets you to click the link that then takes you to the place that downloads the thing and so on. You know, the chain of events that may or may not happen. Sure. But if I click that link in my phone, what's the consequences there? Usually there isn't any because it's going to be a Windows executable. And, you know, a Windows executable won't run on a mobile operating system, just as it wouldn't run on a Mac and vice versa. So you are relatively safe for (laughs) (laughs) clicking on links in the phone. I'm not going to say you should do it like, oh, it didn't work on my computer. Let me go test it on my phone. But ransomware products that, at least that I've seen to date, are targeted to a specific operating system and only work in that operating system. And typically that's the Windows environment. That's not to say, because you see lots of additional types of scams that are run through text, yeah, SMS for phones, and will include a link. What are those typically doing, though? If you click the link in those SMS scams, is it trying to scrape in password information? What, what are we looking for? Yep, it's, doing, it's a malware infection that's trying to grab your passwords, trying to grab your cash credentials on the phone, trying to grab your pictures, anything that can be used to exploit you or blackmail you, or I mean, hopefully not blackmail you, but you know, exploit you. And yeah, unfortunately, malware is a real thing that it does absolutely happen. Yeah. The big ones that I've seen lately are spoofed Amazon accounts wanting you to attempt to sign in. And that's how they capture your login information or spoofed banking websites. Sometimes I'll occasionally look in my spam folder in my Gmail. This is somewhat related, I promise. They get clever, as we've talked about before. And it was a, hey, re-authenticate your Facebook, or we saw a suspicious something on your Facebook, click here to confirm or whatever. It might have been as simple as just confirm your email address. Yep. And it looks exactly like a Facebook email does with the little button and the little disclaimer. Like it is, everything looks Facebook. But then you look at the from address, and this is where they got clever. The domain name is b mail. Dot com, but they put an F. So it's f.b-mail.com. So you're like, oh, Facebook mail. You just kind of glance at it and it's like, oh yeah, that's no, no, it's not a good domain. So. And this will be a shameless plug. And I'm even going to put it in the description here of our article on how to read URLs and domains to prevent spamming, because that is a pretty detailed article and something I ran into quite a bit. I like it. Working at places like Trust and Safety and eBay, where that is pretty common. So you want to learn how to read root domains, for example, facebook.com. Whatever comes before and after that is all fine and good. But if Facebook isn't immediately followed by .com, it's not a Facebook email. So. Yeah, we'll plug that in the end. Great plug. Nice. So I I did a Google search while we're talking, Gary. And so apparently crypto ransomware doesn't affect mobile, but there is a second kind called locker ransomware or screen lockers that are set up to attack mobile Android devices. So instead of crypting in files, it blocks the user from using the UI, uh, usually via like a pop-up overlay or something on top of it. So you can't use your phone. Interesting. That is a form of ransomware, I guess they're trying to roll out on the Android platform. 
scary stuff. And as we've emphasized before, most of these types of attacks are just spray and pray. So you are not too small, whether as an individual or as a business, to be a victim of their attacks or victim of their efforts because they're going after everybody. Yep. And that includes physical devices, right? Because there's a a well-known anti-phishing company out there that you can buy flash drives from and you scatter them around the parking lot. So you pick them up, plugs them into their computer, and then you can track that person. In this case, it's an educational tool, but obviously they did it for a reason. So don't just grab any random flash drive and plug it in if you don't know what it is. It's a new flash drive showed up on your desk. Don't think, oh, I want to know what's on here and pop it in, please. Yeah. Yep. And timing is another big one. They just want an emotional response to try and grab people. I think a perfect example was a few months ago. One that we saw was your recent flight has been delayed or canceled. Click here to change some things. For Gary and I, we would have known it was spam right away because we didn't book any flights. James, you were in the middle of a vacation. That's like the worst thing that you could possibly see when you're out of the country. So the timing was a lot more effective. So it is a spray and pray of getting somebody at just the right time. Yeah. In fact, my mom who traveled with us this last time, she found out our flights were canceled. And her first reaction, I got to call the airlines. And I'm like, wait a minute, can we make sure this is legit first? Turned out it was legit. But yeah, that was my first reaction was, wait, no. (laughs) Nope. All right, well, we'll keep moving forward. The next article we have here is the Defense Department is offering $110,000 in bug bounties. Cash prizes for finding vulnerabilities in its public-facing systems via HackerOne. James, why don't you dive into this one? Sure. So there's a group called HackerOne. They apparently have a whole ton of white hat hackers in their employ, and they offer, like you said, bug bounties, right? Someone come in and and find the bugs before the bad guys do for us. And this is smart. Uh, in fact, this, the article cited that this may be a market of nearly 5.5 billion worldwide by 2027. We're exploding. So rather than letting the bad guys find all of them, let's let the good guys find them. Let's pay them for it. I think this is a brilliant, you know, it's not a solution, but it's certainly moving in the right direction. Let's pay good guys who have the same skills, right? But instead of being motivated for money to do bad, they're being motivated for money to do good. Maybe if we keep launching this, we can get some of those folks who are doing the work on the wrong side of the fence to come over to the to the side of the white and do some good in the world for a change. Yep. So yeah, they had like 400 pages, 400 reports after attempting to attack this Pentagon software. So all those were potential exploits that could have been leveraged down the road. So this is super smart. We absolutely should be doing this. And I hope that we pay lots and lots of money. And I hope some people turn this into a full-time gig. That would be fantastic. Yeah, I'm glad the DoD is getting behind this. We know Microsoft and Apple have been doing bug bounties for a while now. Apple actually had a little issue where somebody had three bugs that they found and Apple ignored them for quite some time. So then he posted them publicly. And it was a bit of an issue for, (laughs) for Apple because they weren't honoring their own promises. But for the most part, it's been good for them. And we actually talked a little bit about this with Tyler Rasmussen, our VP of cybersecurity here at Executech. And HackerOne is, it's a company that has a bunch of white hat hackers and they outsource to companies. Much like we outsource our IT services, they outsource their white hat hacking services so a company can hire them to try and penetrate their services. And I believe Tyler said he was working with one of our clients who actually hired them or someone very similar to them because they have, they work with a DOD and things like that. So it is pretty cool to see. 
Yeah, that's, I mean, the article cites they have 22,000 DOD-related reports as resolved over the years, right? That's 22,000 bugs that were found by hopefully the good guys and not instead of the bad guys and not exploited. So it does make you, well, at least me, give pause to like, how many bugs are out there? <laughs> My gosh. <laughs> they found 22,000 over time and, you know, haven't been around that long. So that's a little scary, but I'm glad we got the good guys doing it. And I'm glad they're getting paid for it rather than having to hope that it makes a difference in the world. Big change from just even a couple of years ago from us prosecuting everybody, good or bad, for doing anything that it might even look like hacking. So that is pretty exciting to see. Yeah. 5.5 billion by 2027. That's remarkable. Like I said, I hope, I hope a bunch of people start making money doing this. I guess a bit of a tangent question here, James, and I recognize this is uh, out of all of our wheelhouses, frankly, but you know, the Department of Defense is putting this together very forward thinking, or so it would seem, and maybe even a little behind. Maybe we should have done this earlier, but regardless, forward thinking, here we are. We're We've talked multiple times on the podcast about some interesting initiatives and new projects and things that the government has released in becoming more forward thinking with when it comes to cybersecurity. But how are we actually on the world stage of cybersecurity capabilities, defense, and maybe even offense? Where does the U.S. sit? I would say high, but I'm guessing not the top of the food chain because we have restrictions in place. First of all, we're not a we don't not run by a dictator who can decide how everything is going to be. We have a whole bunch of hands at, at play, right? A whole bunch of hands in the clay at the same time. So we've got Freedom of Information Acts. We have press to be concerned about. So then again, we saw that the, that apparently CIA bought Pegasus software. So much goes on that we don't know about, right? So we're probably better off than than I think we are, but at the same time. I've had the pleasure of working with many DOD contractors, municipalities, and I know that many of them do not have the budget required to properly lock themselves down in a way that I would think, all right, nothing's 100%, but we're safe or we're good to go or we're a lot better. You know, we look at all the like NIST 800 requirements and most places aren't doing that. Now, how does that compare to other countries? It's hard for me to say. I haven't worked a whole lot of security in other places, but it it is scary how many, how much of our infrastructure is not super secure yet. We're headed the right direction, no doubt about it. Compliance regulations, PCI, HIPAA, the NIST, all these things are coming down and pushing companies. I think all organizations are going to realize that cybersecurity is a huge part of their budget. So getting there. But right now, it's scary to me how vulnerable we could be if someone launched a coordinated attack, for sure. Yeah. I think Chet from Sophos in the last episode said something similar, and it was America has kind of a, a double-edged sword in that, yes, we have all of these freedoms, and it's great for creativity and, and growth and capitalism in general, but because we are such an anti-regulation society by nature, it actually does make things like these types of initiatives much harder to get through. There's a lot more red tape to go through and make sure you know we're not impeding on anybody's rights or violating anybody's rights. Yeah, things like that. So it's a good thing and a bad thing all at once. And I think I mentioned this before, right? I did this FBI Citizens Academy and it was really eye-opening, sometimes a little too much. So <laughs> I kind of wish I had a little more ignorance than I do now. But some of this was around the espionage that goes in for the United States. Other countries have the mentality that we're going to go steal from the US and whoever does it, we're going to set your families up for life. Right? So we're going to incent people to go join 
DOD contractors or whatever to infiltrate the huge organizations, the infrastructure in the United States and sell their secrets back to us or, you know, give the secrets back to us. And in return, we're going to make sure their families are well taken care of, whatever incentive they need to do, pay lots of money. So for some nations, it's a whole perspective is, yeah, the U.S. has been beating us up for so long, we're going to go take back what's really ours. So there's a lot of work the FBI has to do because there's a lot of that going on. A lot more than I had in mind until I, or had, I knew about until I went to this academy. And so to any of you out there who uh, think you've got what it takes to be a hacker and don't want to be a bad guy, there are more and more jobs opening up out there from the DOD to private industry, which is pretty cool. Yeah, cybersecurity is a huge growing trend. And much like other technical arenas we're seeing, it is grossly understaffed right now. Hugely understaffed. On that line, Derek, I know I'm our tangent guy here on the podcast, so bear with me. But <laughs> we at Executech talk a lot about our IT consultants, our technicians, and uh, we maybe even mentioned the difference between a traditional IT technician versus a web or any other kind of developer who's working in code. I think that difference is, is fairly clear. What is the difference then between those two groups and then somebody who is specialized in cybersecurity? Are they kind of the overlap of knowing development and code and the IT side, or is it sort of a whole other category in and of itself? Yeah, you need to know IT and certainly coding will help you. You don't need to know it to the depth that our system administrators would need to know it, for instance. You're not doing business corporate support on that. But you do have a new, whole new set of education requirements that go into auditing and there's processes and procedures and methodologies for proper lockdown, for bug tracking, for doing auditing, for doing forensic data, that kind of thing that system administrators will probably never have. But if I want to go work for HackerOne, what's the skill path to get there? Yeah, you're going to need to know some networking, certainly. That's a big part of it because we're talking about packets of data. So you need to understand how the fundamentals of networking at the very least. And then coding, probably the majority of it will be coding experience. I don't know. I think Executech needs to get into the for-profit school business and open up a school on hacking. Could be interesting. Ah, interesting. White hat hacking. Let's be specific here, please. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to train the bad guys. Which I did see, speaking of tangents, Hacker One, they actually fired someone for improperly accessed security reports for personal gain. So apparently they're not immune to it either. Hmm. Very interesting. It'll be pretty neat to see how this stuff continues. Definitely opens up a lot of questions in my mind. I'm sure that is an issue that any of these people are going to deal with. And that is the gray hat, as we call them, hackers where they have the knowledge, they have the connections and then some of the uh, insights because of their position and the temptation to exploit that for a little extra money on the side for some, I'm sure can, can get pretty rough. So white hat by day, black hat by night. <laughs> you got to see Mr. Robot. If you want to talk about hackers, you got to see Mr. Robot. That was the, one of the most realistic shows as far as actual hacking goes I've ever seen. And then if you want one of the most inaccurate shows on hacking, Swordfish. Huh. With um, Halle Berry and John Travolta, I believe. John Travolta, yeah. yeah. Travolta. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nuclear codes or something, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. All right, on to the next one. FBI warns that cyber criminals might use deep fakes to ace IT job interviews. That is a very interesting title. Well, I don't think we've actually talked about deep fakes on the show yet. So I don't think so. Deep fakes freak me out. Yeah. 
but using them to get me a job sounds <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Gentlemen, what are your thoughts? Well, let's talk about what deepfake is. Someone want to take yeah. that? You want me to take it? Yeah, let's start there. Take it away. All right. So deepfake is obviously a, a play on words, but this is using software to recreate a persona using my voice and someone else's face on top of me. Yeah. So I, for, for interviews, for instance, I could appear to be someone else. Fortunately, the technology is new and clunky at best. There was an article mentioned that someone would sneeze and yet the corresponding animations wouldn't match that. But my goodness, with the rise in power of the processors these days, how long is it before we can totally fake someone's, put on a whole different face? I can look like Gary or Derek. And I mean, what the fun use and the real world use of this has been in, for example, the latest episodes of, for example, The Mandalorian. Right. Bit of a spoiler if you haven't seen it yet, but de-aging techniques, obviously there's a lot of CGI and very talented artists behind that, but using deep fake technology, which you could argue is a variation of uh, artificial intelligence and deep learning, all those other fun buzzwords. At the end of the day, you've trained a computer to learn somebody's face and to recreate somebody's face. And they're doing that to de-age actors because you can feed the computer the old movies and they can make it a current version of their younger self. So I think that's an interesting use case. And we've seen it used to varying degrees of convincingness or how well it's pulled off in some of the shows. But yeah, I this one, I, I guess reading the article, it was criminals trying to work their way into working for the FBI. And I guess if the FBI doesn't know your face to begin with, I mean, I, yeah, I guess it's just a disguise is all it is. It's a very advanced digital disguise. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I don't know why the common person would ever need or want to use this. Like, why do I need to change my face? Come on, have you ever seen the Instagram shorts or something where people tweak something they put on virtual sunglasses on, you know, like a <laughs> cone head or something? You see that kind of stuff all the time on those. The other big issue, and this would deserve its own episode, its own deep dive when it comes to just news and politics and things in general, is are deep fakes going to start creeping up? And we see a video of a prominent figure making some sort of announcement that is scary or outrageous or whatever it is. How will we know if it's real or if it's fake? But my understanding is a lot of experts are saying there are some very easy tells, even as the technology gets more advanced, there are going to be digital traces and tells that a video or audio has been manipulated using this type of technology. Now, that's not to say that it still won't do damage. If yeah. a common person finds a video on their feed, the idea is still planted, even if the video turns out to be fake. So I don't think we've seen that yet in a widespread case, but it's probably coming because this technology is very accessible and once you know it it's easy to use yep i mean those the shows were convincing right they look like the actor a younger version of actor and i i kept looking i got a nice big 4k screen i kept looking i'm like man this looks real i cannot believe how real this looks what happened there's no way <laughs> they find it a look alike i'm like no this is the same person so yeah i think this is going to be an ongoing threat and that's a real deal, right? If the president, whoever it is, in the future suddenly jumps on and says something to you and before anyone has time to prove its legitimacy, yeah, it's going to have some damage. You can, mm -hmm. this is, I have a million years ago, I'm an old guy. So there was a million years ago, there was a show called Looker. And in that show, they were doing this with actors and actresses. So they no longer needed the actors or actresses. So they get rid of them. They wouldn't have to pay them anymore. But yet they were in all these movies because they could recreate them digitally. So- I feel like this is coming to be a reality. 
Well, and with our phones and our laptops also now unlocking based on our face, is there a scenario where you can use a deep fake to fake out a lock screen? Right. And certainly, and I don't, you see this more in the movies. I don't know if there's a lot of this in the real world where it's an audio passphrase and it voice matches to unlock. Adobe itself came out with like a program that would recreate audio based on only like, I want to say like 45 minutes of existing audio. So somebody could go grab all the episodes of Between the Bites and recreate each each of our voices and have us say whatever they want. Did you have to use that one? Couldn't it be something else? (laughs) (laughs) For anybody who is interested in um, technology in general, the Adobe Max conferences every year are, I still think they're pretty underrated. All the creators, anybody who uses the Adobe suite, but some of the technology that they're flirting with is unreal. They can take one or two pictures and give you a 15-minute movie because it will recreate each frame and build movement out of nothing. They actually did take the front of picture of somebody and almost perfectly, Adobe just guessing basically, created a picture of their profile from the back. Wow. Back of the head, the hair, everything. And then they took an actual picture almost identical. And this is Adobe software just guessed based on the front and almost got it perfect, having never seen that. For a computer to do that is unreal. Yeah, that used to be the joke among designers is that the client would say, well, hey, can you uh, rotate that picture so I can see the back of it instead? And it's like, it's a picture. I can't, it's just Photoshop. I can't, now you can. Now Adobe can. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, and you, I used Premiere a while back, Adobe Premiere, and I was able to recreate a segment of video of someone talking And like you could cut out a segment and it would fill in the gap between them. And if the person smiled a lot, it would add a smile in there too. Like Mm -hmm. the average of the previous ones and the actor smiled and then kept going. I'm like, wait a minute, that smile wasn't in there. Where'd that come from? And I realized it recreated that from previous footage, I guess, from looking at the previous footage of just phenomenal. You guys may have used the nighttime iPhone shots now, not the flash, but the long time exposure. And yet, even if you move, it comes out crystal clear. That came out of one of those Adobe conferences where someone figured out the formula to track the movement of your phone, movement of the camera, and then undo that movement so you have a, you know one unblurred picture when you're done. That came from one of those conferences you mentioned, Derek. Yep. So for any of you uh, tech buffs or anybody who loves technology and is not a creator in the Adobe suite, very much underrated, the Adobe Max conferences will blow your mind. <laughs> we might have to let me take a real deep tangent on a total episode and talk about AI and the deep learning stuff. And I know it's not quite on brand for us, but it is really cool and fun. So, yep. And scary. So the Adobe conference this year is October 18th through the 20th. The Adobe Max conference, just what's out there. Don't miss it. Always something fun. The last little article, much less ominous, is Microsoft Viva. Help your employees thrive with Microsoft Viva. Kind of a pseudo community competition with Slack slash social media channel. Very interesting. My initial thoughts, having been in social media marketing and that kind of stuff for upwards of 10 years now, they're going to run into the same issue that everybody else is, first being adaptation. Even if it was a perfect platform and this amazing tool, that doesn't mean that people actually use it. The other thing is how much do people want to be engaged with stuff like that that is work but not work outside of office hours. So it is interesting to see with some of the implications they have for social learning and social training. 
I need to look more into the insights thing because the insights tab looks like management can track through logging their meetings and everything like that, basically track their relationship status and how strong their relationships are with each of their employees. So that's pretty interesting to see. So yeah, my thoughts are, it seems neat. We'll see in practice. What do you guys think? Yeah, this is not the first time that Microsoft has tried to do a social media platform or app. And obviously, since none of us can think of the names of the other ones, they didn't do well. But yep. just for the record, Yammer was one of them. Yammer. Mm -hmm. Did Microsoft do Orkut? That was one of the other big corps. Anyway, it didn't work. Google got involved in that one. Every time the big corporations try it, it doesn't work. And I think to your point, Derek, adoption is one of the big problems. However, to Microsoft's, and not credit, but their leg up in this case is they're building it into Teams. And yes. Teams has become huge, aided, of course, by the move to remote work. And so people are already used to living in teams. At least that's how we work here at Executech. And I'm sure a lot of other organizations are similar. And so adding this additional feature into something you're already using hmm, might get far better adoption. But yes, just looking at the screenshots, it's very ripped off of Facebook, like straight up. Like it's, it's just a Facebook profile page. <laughs> and now you have stories as well in teams. I don't know, man. Like you said, I like my coworkers. I've got friends at work. But is this how I want to communicate with them? Yeah. And then you have to be even more cautious about what you're posting on social media. No matter what, everybody should. Like I said before we started recording, I'm sure anybody who works in a corporate environment or just for a company who's had their HR meetings, social media is now added to the normal things to talk about when it comes to your yearly HR updates and meetings. So if you have connections or anything like that with anybody from work, what you post, it does fold into all of the rules that you have at work. This would be even more so. It's considered to be part of the workplace. So how much will people use it? Knowing that it's only the people you work with that see things, you know, is it actually going to be a social media site or is it just going to be a way to, in some way, stay more engaged with coworkers and management? Well, that being said, a while back, Teams was fairly unheard of. And yet now it's integrated into Windows 11. Right. You can do, you know, start a chat right from there. And it's Teams it's leveraging. So Microsoft has this huge advantage in that they can integrate it. And, you know, we've seen plenty of integrations that failed miserably. The first versions of Edge come to mind. They've been playing the browser game for a long time. Right. But now they've switched to Chromium based and they're finally competing. But seriously, you embed something into Windows and the likelihood of it being adopted goes up dramatically. It doesn't mean it has. We've certainly seen, like you said, Yammer. What's what all the billion dollar lawsuits were about, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, they've had plenty of lawsuits from trying to embed things in the, into the operating systems themselves. But they've also seen a lot of success. And I didn't think Teams was going to take off, but it absolutely has. So who knows? I did see it says it provides tools for tracking tasks, shedding light on accomplishments, facilitating no meeting days, and connecting workers. I don't know how you facilitate a no meeting day, but I like the sound of it anyway. Sounds nice. Yeah. <laughs> it does sound nice. And I think for some positions, it would be nice. Like we have a massive employee base of technicians, IT professionals. A lot of times they are working by themselves, either at home or even if they're on site with a client, there's not very many opportunities or times that all 150, 200 technicians just in Utah can get together. So this could be an interesting way to have a little bit more communication with coworkers that does get limited either by your position or just by being a hybrid or a remote work office. There's some hope for it. 
Most of them are not going to take the time to go, hey, here's what I, I don't know, ate today or. Yeah. <laughs> here's it what I worked on today. It could just turn into a platformed event. <laughs> yeah, that would, yeah, that would not be good. <laughs> Whether that's good or bad, I will leave that up to the individual organizations to decide. I guess we'll see how this Viva goes. As we kind of wrap things up, is there anything else in the news, either cybersecurity or technology that you guys have heard of and are excited for, or anything out recently that you guys have really enjoyed? Forgive the personal share, but for our anniversary, I decided to take my wife out to rent those little scooters. And we talked about it quite a bit and we decided, hey, let's do so I woke up really early because it's like a hundred degrees these days by daytime. So I got her up early. It was before work and we went out and she had no idea what we were doing. And I grabbed a couple of them and she thought it was a blast. We had so much fun. We rode all over our, our city here and we headed toward the soccer stadium, the big soccer stadium. And she was ahead of me by quite a ways. And she started going down the hill and it was a pretty steep hill. And I could hear her. She's like, oh, the brakes aren't working. And she kept going faster and she's like, and she had to bounce. She had to bail off this thing. So she bails off this scooter and yeah, like broke both her big toes, ended up actually with a, a punctured lung and yeah, partially like a pneumothorax, they call it. So we ended up, we didn't know she could have trouble breathing, but not terribly. So we took her to Instacare. They moved us to ER. ER sent us down to the trauma team at IMC. And yeah, so that was our... <laughs> anniversary did not go the way I'd planned it. That's for sure. We, no movie and dinner. Well, she got the hospital food and TV, I guess. But um, So I've been out of the loop a little while anyway. That's what I was trying to say. Um, I have no idea what's going on right now. That'll make a hell of a story though. I know. That's why I said it'll be a memorable anniversary. That'll be the one anniversary that you guys both remember the most. Yeah. Oh yeah. And just to be clear, I had her in helmet, gloves, knee pads. I mean, I armored her up as much as possible. Hiking boots. But yeah. Here we are. She's recovering now nicely. Thank you. Yeah, but then, you know, what do you do when brakes fail? Like, that is the ultimate failure. It actually has one of those, like, step-on fairing brakes in the back. Mm -hmm. But we'd been on one a total of 20 minutes. We had no idea. We're not scooter riders. So, in retrospect, I should have practiced emergency procedures to jump off the thing. But it just never occurred to me to do that. So, tip for the wise out there. No, I don't have any significant closing thoughts. I mean, things are always happening in the news that are exciting and fun. And it's like I said, I've been on a bit of an AI kick myself. I've been watching through Westworld. And so <laughs> if we talk about that again, I'm, I'm all in. We used to talk about that on the old Between the Bites all the time. So, The two things that I've heard about, Vegas is building something called the MSG Sphere, which is an entertainment venue where inside they'll have the uh, immersive seatings that vibrate and move just a little bit with the sound. I can't find the stats right away, but the screen is some large number times bigger than an IMAX screen. They'll have concerts and things in there, unreal. And the entire exterior will be an LED screen so they can turn it into whatever they want. Wow. And it's one of the most high definition screens in existence. On top of, once it's completed, will be the largest LED screen in the entire world. So that's going to be pretty cool to see. Leave it to Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. So much money. <laughs> yep. And the other one is for any of you who have not seen the images from the James Webb telescope. Yes. Nerdy tangent. Okay. That I have seen. I've kind of freaked out about it. I've been waiting for it for a very long time. They are absolutely amazing. Some of the things that they were fine and able to look at. About as close as we'll ever get to the actual beginning of time using a very dense galaxy as a physical telescope in space to see even further and back. So cool. Very fascinating. So if you guys haven't seen that yet, there's been a couple of rounds of pictures that have come out so far over the last uh, week and, and a couple of days. Definitely check it out. Should have led with that. 
I had to control myself. I could fill a whole podcast off of the nine pictures that have been released <laughs> because I'm, like I said, I've been kind of freaking out about it. So yeah, you're right. I, despite my, my hospital stay that I am up on. So valid point. I did forget about that one. Thank you for the reminder. <laughs> that is some cool stuff. Seeing those galaxies way out there. It's just phenomenal. Mind blowing. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right, James and Gary, thank you very much for joining us. We'll go ahead and call this episode a wrap and we will catch you guys on the next one. Thanks, guys. Take care, everyone. Be safe out there. Thanks. Thanks.